What a blessing it is to gather and to worship and gather at a little bit of a different schedule and different time. Um, and uh, this thing that we call Winter Conference, uh, years ago we used to call it the Winter Revival. And that was always a little bit humorous to me because I thought, how do you schedule revival? And really you don't, um, because God decides when revival comes. I don't know if you've seen any of the news, but there is revival around the country at Asbury College and Asbury University, uh, Asbury Seminary. There is revival there, uh, campuses in Ohio, different places. Um, students are praying for days and days and days without leaving. Uh, in, in moments of revival. That's one kind of picture of what happens when God says, all right, I'm ready. You've been praying for it. And so I'm ready. And so we, we are praying. We've been praying for this time. And we're so blessed to have Nate Garrett with us. Uh, Nate, it's difficult to introduce because, not just because he's so tall and I have to lean back, but because uh, he's really family. I mean, Nate has been here so many times I can't really count. Uh, he's been with us with our student ministries. He's been here for other conferences that we've had. We're so blessed to have him. Uh, he's a pastor. He's been a youth pastor. He's been an educator. He's taught in Christian schools. He's taught apologetics, all kinds of things. And he's always got a heart. Whenever I hear from him uh, on any kind of social media, he's got a heart to bring people to Jesus. And uh, we appreciate that. So uh, I want to just ask you to warmly welcome Nate Garrett. Thank you. Thanks, James. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, that's exactly what I was going to say is that I feel like <clears throat> whenever I come here, it's family. I'm coming back to like a, my Florida family reunion. You're, the, you're those cousins, you know, those <laughs> Those cousins that everybody loves, that everybody loves. And, um, and I'm really glad to be back. Uh, I have been in youth ministry for 21 years. For those of you, this might be the first time you've ever seen me here. Um, I've been married for 21 years as well. I started youth ministry the Sunday we got back from our honeymoon. So I already had a church lined up and they were bringing me on board. And uh, I have three awesome children, two of them um, are biologically related, so they're not as smart as the adopted one. <clears throat> but uh, my, my oldest son is a senior in high school, and he's getting ready to go to Mid-Atlantic Christian University to play basketball, which I'm excited about, because uh, that means the basketball games aren't over, and we get to keep driving. <laughs> uh, so, and then I've got a freshman daughter, and they just won the uh, conference championship in basketball yesterday. <clears throat> so super excited about that. Sorry, you're going to enjoy this for just, I'm going to mute it and clear my throat for just a second so we don't have to share this in a moment. It was either that or a, a series of uh, really small throat clearings for the next five minutes. So one of the two. And then I've got a two and a half year old boy named Ezra uh, that is our pride and joy. Everybody in the family's favorite, including my kids. They're like, he's way cooler than all of us and way cooler than you, dad. Um, we're, we're enjoying him. And all my kids are named after Star Wars characters, by the way. Luke, Leia, and Ezra is from the cartoon. So we're excited to have more Star Wars family. Um, and then we have a dog and a turtle. And they're, the, the turtle is 13 and the dog is 15. So she's about to shed her last shed in my house at some point. 
And we'll miss her when that happens. So we really do love her as well. Um, We are talking about pressing on toward the goal this weekend. And I hope you'll be part of every session with us. And guys, come to the breakfast. We'd love to hang out with you guys there and to pour into you there as well. But we're going to be looking at a passage. And I'm going to be asking a couple questions about the passage today. And we'll delve more into and kind of pick it apart as as the weekend goes on. But I'm going to ask it, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask a couple of questions of it as we get into the message today. It's found in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. And if you've got your Bibles, it's great to always open that up if you've got it, because you might need to underline something. When I was a kid, I thought you weren't supposed to write in your Bible. Like, you couldn't underline it, you couldn't highlight it. If, you know, if the cover was falling off and everything, you definitely couldn't do anything with it except stack it up with the other Bibles and they have to be here till Jesus comes back. I mean, like the, the, the leather and paper we thought was holy even, but it was really the words that are holy and underline them. A, a worn Bible is, is a good sign that you're probably, um, your relationship with Jesus is tracking well. And so right in the margins, they even sell some now with such large margins, just so you can kind of doodle what you're getting out of the word. And so if we check your large margins afterwards and you're drawing SpongeBob, we'll know you weren't listening. But other than that, I see a lot of teenagers that will doodle those things and they, it'll be beautiful works of art, like beautiful works of art that break down some of the Psalms and different things that they can look back and remember what God was teaching them then. And that's, that's the same for us as adults as well. In Philippians 3, we look at 12 through 14. Paul is talking here. And he uses a lot of analogies over time that have to do with kind of sports. They didn't have a lot of sports back then. They had wrestling. That's an old sport. And uh, if you think the outfits today are bad, they were really worse then. I don't suggest you research that. And they had running. I mean, that that races were a very important part of the Roman era and the, the, um, the Greek empire before that. I mean, they... They like to run. They like to see who could run faster. And so he uses that as an illustration here of what it's like to be in this Christian life. Now, as Americans, a lot of the times we like to say Christian walk. We don't like to say Christian race because have you ever heard the joke where they they said that the TV is getting thinner, but Americans are getting bigger. So we're just the same distance away as we used to be. We like the idea of a walk. I'm walking in my Christian walk. I'm taking it slow. But Paul looked at it as, hey, this thing's got to get done. We've got a job to do. There's somewhere to go with this message. And so he, he um, likened it to a race. And he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't saying that he could attain it on this planet either. If you're thinking he hadn't got it yet, did Paul have it a few books from there then when he wrote a few more epistles? Uh, No, he was saying that even though this is something I'll never attain this side of heaven, it's worth striving for. 
The pursuit is worth it. Just the pursuit is worth it. And um, a lot of times I put my foot in my mouth as a youth pastor. I can't, I don't think you can even imagine what I'm talking about. Um, just re- recently, we have a podcast at our church and occasionally they'll ask me to be on it. And we're talking theology and stuff. And we were talking about the Trinity and how we can't wrap our mind around it. And this, my church doesn't need to know this ever happened because it got edited out. But I feel like you're family and I can talk to you more. I've been with you a lot longer than the current church I'm on staff with. I was in the middle of it and sometimes an analogy will pop into your head. And I was just like, you know what? You know what? Everybody has that relative who's a little larger than most, and just, and you love them. And just because you can't get your arms all the way around them doesn't mean you don't hug them. And I said it just like that, and I was dead serious. And in the, as soon as I said that, I was like, oh, we can't use that. We can't use that. And the other two pastors are laughing their heads off, and they're like, no, that's not going to make it in there. Find another analogy of why we pursue God anyway. But those of you who are married in here, how many married couples do we have in here? All right, you guys know that the pursuit, or you should know, hopefully by now, I don't know how long you've been married, that the pursuit is worth it. You're never going to figure her out, men. And if I tried to help you do that tomorrow morning, it would be the blind leading the blind. We're not going to figure her out. And there's not, a, there's, not a, uh, there's not a formula we could put together that will always end up the same. To, to make sure that our relationship's going well, because at one point you give her flowers and she melts. And so you think, well, I guess I'll bring her flowers. And they don't do the same thing the next time at all. She wants you not to figure her out, but to pursue her. And God wants us to pursue him. And Paul likened that to that race. We're in it. We're following the path he's laid before us. And I've not attained it. But you know what? He's attained me. I've not taken hold of it, but he has taken hold of me. That I'm running this hand in hand with Jesus Christ. And we're going to get more into that passage and even look at some verses around it as the weekend goes. But I wanted to jump into Hebrews just for a moment because it also, there's a lot of scripture about this race. And not really a question, but something I want to kind of answer like, you know, Sometimes we think God's asking us to do things that are just hard to do. But I promise you, there's nothing Jesus asks us to do that he hasn't already done. He doesn't say, hey, escape temptation, say no under pressure. He was tempted in all ways that we are, yet he was without sin. He doesn't say, you know what, you should just be able to bear all this pain that you're going through. I don't get it, but you should be able to. No, he went through pain. He lost loved ones. There's a reason why Mary was at the cross and not Joseph. He lost loved ones. He was stabbed in the back by his friends. He had everybody desert him. He ran this race before we did. He's already been down the path. He knows the trip hazards. He knows where the logs are and where there's a lot of roots and where it gets really slippery when it rains. He's ran this path. And if you're running a path and it's getting a little darker and somebody else has ran it first, you want to ask them about that path. Do we have any runners in here? Any runners? Just, just a few. Other, other you guys are, are walkers of the Christian. Right, way back there. At, 
And she's working her arm out too. You should do a set with the other arm. You don't want to get imbalanced. All right. We have people who are running. You want to ask them before they get on the trail. People typically, if I, I, I like to hike. I don't like to really run, but I like to hike. And people like to hike with me. It's not because I'm an experienced hiker, but because they know I'm going to hit every spider web that was built overnight <laughs> before they get to it. So I, I've learned to walk with a large stick, you know, like, um, and it looks strange if you're, if you're coming the other direction and you see a guy with my hair and beard and a big staff <laughs> and you think, what wizard is this? It's got spider webs hanging off of the staff and everything. It's really, it's really fun. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, we hear about this race that Christ was willing to run for us, and it tells us to get in the game. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and let's stop there just for a second. Sometimes we think that this is just the angels and so forth, and they're all watching us, and they're, they're looking to see, and they're desiring to see um, how we interact with the gospel with Jesus and so forth. But the, the list before this are the saints of old. We've got people watching us and we have these witnesses who've gone on before to show us it's worth the pursuit. And since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let's run for, with endurance the race that's set before us. If we can put the Philippians verse back up there just for a moment. He said that we, for, oh, what happened? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> as long as you thought it was funny. That's all. Don't let me in on the inside joke. All right. So it said in verse 13, one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He talks about not just forgetting the old pursuits, but he's forgetting the things that used to easily entangle in Hebrews. We can go forward to Hebrews there. Talks about those weights, the sin that so closely binds itself to us, easily entangles us. Different translations say different things, but none of them talk about it favorably. That when sin gets a hold of you, it's like wearing concrete shoes. And it's trying to hold you back from everything God's calling you to. And at times, we want to just say, oh, it's too difficult to put one foot in front of the other. If you get a rock in your shoe, and I imagine that's probably happened to everybody, maybe a little more sand than rocks where you live, but where I live, we don't have sand unless you brought it in and put a box in your yard and the ants just make a hill out of it. What's the point? Um, but you get a rock in your shoe and you know, I've got to stop moving forward until I do something about this rock. But when you watch how Christians with sin in their life still try to stumble forward and act like everything's okay, we're not fooling anybody. If we could see, like, and sometimes you can see it in your friends or they can see it in you, that person's got a rock in their shoe. Can we go out for coffee sometime this week, brother? I feel like, I feel like you know, we need to catch up. And what I'm saying is you've been limping all over the place and it's pretty obvious to everybody. Let's get the rock out of your shoe. And maybe at times they're going to say that to me as well. But we've got to get rid of that. Now, no one in here would walk around with a rock in their shoe. You would stop. You would remove the rock. You keep going forward. 
But in the Christian walk, when we're not like Jesus, hold on a second, can you help me with this? There's a rock in my shoe, and I, I think I actually got cut this time. Is there, do you have anything to keep this from getting infected? Is there something that I can do walking forward with you to make sure that this doesn't become a problem later down the road? And we find that the great physician is there to do just that. His name is healing. We just sang that. His name is life. I love that song, by the way. Like, that's one of the ones that's constantly running in the back of my head. And we sing it at my church, too. And so we had just sang it Sunday. And as we were sitting here singing, or standing here singing, I, I was thinking, oh, it'd be good if we sang a song about Jesus' name. You know, Jesus over my family. Jesus, you know. And then all of a sudden, that's what we went into. And we didn't plan that or anything. But I was like, wow, you're good, God. Because we need him in those moments. And then it says this, the second part of the sentence, which happens to be verse two. I always find that strange. You know, who is plotting these out? It's like, we're going to bring this verse one, this verse two. Those little numbers aren't the inspired part, by the way. They're like, mid-sentence, let's take a break. As if they knew I was going to take a break and explain the first part. It's just (laughs) prophetic the way they laid this out. All right. Then it says, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and, sit, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You get what that says? That says that Jesus ran this race before us. That he's the founder or the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the runner with the experience who can tell us about the trail. He's the one who, for the joy set before him, the joy set before him went to the cross, despising its shame. That's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling to me. We did a, a service with our youth this past Sunday, and I found out that afterwards, it was about half of my youth workers who thought I was off, like off my rocker crazy. Because we've been going through the life of Jesus and we, we, did, um, we got up to the point of the Last Supper and I wanted to put the emphasis on the foot washing that Jesus knew he was about to be betrayed and that Jesus knew that he was about to be dragged around to three different kangaroo courts in the dead of night and that he would be spit on and hit and beaten within an inch of his life And stressed to the point that blood would come out of his pores right before he was arrested even. And then nailed to a cross the next day. And he was the Passover lamb and he needed to do that feast with his disciples. Because the timing was perfect for him to be the Passover lamb. And to do all of that. And I get that. But why in the world did he need to wash their feet? And the thing is he didn't have to and he didn't need to he desired to model it for them and so we did i washed my youth leaders feet and afterwards they went to their small group rooms and were washing feet there and i had talked with them and i i had given everybody a i mean my my some of the people in my church really need a lot of heads up for things so they're not uncomfortable and i get that and so forth back in the day we were like in youth ministry it was no holds barred you might walk into a youth group and get hit with water balloons and you're like what is this kool-aid 
I have to change my shirt now. That's how youth ministry used to be, and it's horrible, and we don't do that anymore. But we give everybody an email. You might want to wash your feet before you come and wear something that can easily come off. And you can be a casual observer of this if you would like to. No one's going to ask you to participate if you don't want to. There will be a single chair in each room. And when there's a lull, kind of like popcorn prayer, you know, when the last kernel pops or doesn't, somebody closes in prayer. You've been a part of that circle before. And the leaders afterwards, many of them came up to me with tears in their eyes saying, I had no idea what was about to happen with our students. No idea what was going to happen in my heart. Because when we see that Jesus has done these things first before he asks us to do them, he doesn't ask us to go and put others before ourselves. He gets down and he washes feet and then says, do the same. This is the God that we serve. This is the God we're talking about. One that has been where you are and is where you are. What do I mean by that? Is where you are. See, there's a misconception that Jesus was here in a human body for 33 years, and then he gets to go back and just be 100% God from here on out and forget that man part. There is one mediator between God and man, the, the God-man Jesus Christ. Paul said that after Jesus went back to heaven. Jesus decided to become one of us and retain who he was as God forever. He knows what it's like to be us. And he's in a perfect body that can't be harmed. One like the one you'll receive one day if you're in Christ. And this is, this is it's, it's, that type of realization is so mind-blowing to me. Because it wasn't just a field trip for him. He loved you enough to be like you so that you could be like him. He loved you enough to go through the same temptation and fight it off so he could die for you so that you could be like him. So that when God looked at Jesus, he saw your sin. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' righteousness. He has ran this race first. He's not asking us to do some impossible task. He's saying, I've been there. And now I sit at the right hand of the throne of God. What is he doing? I believe he's rooting us on. Now, he's still omnipresent as well. We're not going to get into all that because that'll blow your mind that he can be at the right hand of the Father and he can be right in the midst of you, praying with a few people and right there with you as you're going to share the gospel. I'll be with you the whole time, even to the end of the age. Jesus is everywhere. And yet Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and occasionally standing instead of sitting when somebody is standing for him like when Stephen was stoned in the book of Acts. My question for you tonight, my main question, I think, not just did Jesus go through this, did he ask you to do something that he wasn't willing to do? The answer is no, he did not. He was willing to do that. But are you in the race? 
Now, some of you know that I'm a big Star Wars fan, and you're probably expecting at some point this week I'm going to grab some Star Wars items out of a bag, and I'm not. Because there's something, we've been around each other long enough that you, you should already know that I'm a huge Nolan Ryan fan, but you don't. As a kid, he was my favorite baseball player because, according to anyone who happens to have an over-the-ear mic on the stage now in this church this evening, he may just be the greatest baseball player who's ever lived. Now, you can ask other people who don't have an over-the-ear mic who happen to be on this stage right now in this particular church where we're speaking this evening, and you'll get other answers. You'll get Ted Williams, and you'll get all kinds of random nonsense. But at the least, we can, we can probably say he's maybe the greatest pitcher who ever lived. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a fan, and uh, I, I, I was going to bring this tub full of stuff, but I flew here, and I felt like it'd be rude to the people next to me. <laughs> this is carry-on. I can't afford to get it lost in luggage. So I've, I took pictures. I went up into my office, and I opened the tub up and started taking pictures of things. And so here's some of the, there's a bobblehead of Nolan Ryan. Uh, it's pretty good. That's when he takes Advil, if you remember those commercials, is when his head feels like that. He takes Advil. He was an Advil spokesman. And then I've got, there's other action figures I've got of him. That's him doing his little thing as he's pitching. And then I just, I think I just threw a whole bunch in one because I was like, I, I can't do this. We can't go slide by slide with all the random stuff that I have. Uh, let's go to the next one. I don't even remember what it is. Oh, yes. So that helmet I got in like 1993 by eating a bunch of cornflakes. From that, you had to get like a certain amount of of whatever, what are the UPCs back then? You cut off the barcode, kids, and sent it in and to prove you had purchased this. And by the way, I have one of the boxes right there. It's still, no, go back, go back. Sorry, sorry. That's still full of cornflakes from 1993. <laughs> and if youth ministry was like it was 20 years ago, it would be part of a game and somebody get food poisoning, but it's not like that. I've never opened, it's fat-free, cholesterol-free food, Cornflakes was bragging about, um, and I'm pretty sure it's free of everything else that it originally had now, probably gray. All right, so I still have that, and then uh, you can go to the next one. There's some other random items. Those are like, they, they did a whole baseball card set of 110 cards, several series of Nolan Ryan that are just cards of him, and that's a VHS tape that taught me how to pitch like Nolan Ryan. And I still can't do it. I, I should get my money back for that VHS tape. All right, the next slide. That sports viewer, I've never really been able to see him in that, but I have to take their word for it because I didn't want to open it because collectors don't open things. Notepads and random. The couple of things I did put in, here's one, this plaque I thought could flatten and go in my suitcase. What it, I didn't flatten it. it is, it's a plaque. It is already that way. And then the next slide we've got there, I've got over 600 different Nolan Ryan cards from that 1966 team picture of the Mets to um, like cards made of porcelain and random things. Um, his autograph and several, that thing came off a of Jiffy Pop, um, the, like the bottom of the popping bag. Yeah, crazy stuff. All right, Ralston Perina. If it came with anything, I probably have it. Stacks of magazines and newspapers. 
Um, things I didn't have time to take pictures of. Is there anything else? I don't know if there's anything else there. Oh, yeah. This, is this the last Nolan Ryan slide? Okay, keep it right there for a second. Um, when I was a kid, throwing heat came out in 1988. And uh, some of you in the back are like, he was a kid in the 80s? Like the, the teenagers. Yeah. Um, so I was probably eight years old, and I got that book. As an eight-year-old, I couldn't understand a whole lot of it, but I was reading it because I liked who Nolan Ryan was. And they thought he was, you know, nearing retirement. He still had two more no-hitters to get at that point when he was nearing 40. So, like, and, and the other ones came after he was 40. He actually played longer than I am old. So Nolan Ryan played until he was 46 years old. I'm 43. Some of you, the, the way you said wow really makes me think <laughs> that you think I'm older than I am. And I'm... He played till 46, and his last no-hitter was at 44 years old. A no-hitter means no, no hits. Now, baseball is confusing, because it doesn't mean nobody hit the ball. It means nobody got a hit. You can hit the ball in baseball, but if you don't get to get on the base because somebody caught the ball, then it's still a no-hitter, even though somebody hit it. They didn't hit it because it's not a hit. That's how you... <laughs> makes a lot of sense. So then they updated it because he just kept playing. And from throwing heat, they started calling it, the next title was Miracle Man. Because why in the world? Do you know the only player to get six hits off of Nolan Ryan in one game ever? It's a 23-year-old named Robin Ventura. He got hit by a pitch by Nolan Ryan and he charged them out. And Nolan Ryan put him in a headlock and gave him six hits. It's one of the greatest moments of my life as a child. I was watching, I was like, what? He's in his, he's 43 when that happened. 43, 23. Mm. Anyways, I'm not saying that's like the best role model there, but don't charge the mound and respect your elders. That's what I say. Miracle man, I've got the paperback. The other one's a little heavy. I was thinking about all the things I was going to add to my suitcase. And this is the smaller version of it, Miracle Man, Nolan Ryan. And I read through this. I just ate it up. Now, how many of you know how many no-hitters that he ended up with? Seven. There's a, there's a Netflix documentary out right now about Nolan Ryan as well. Highly recommend it. Very good. Um, I was like, wow. I didn't have to keep any of this. I could just keep, get that documentary. But um, it's, it's very good. I would submit to you that probably, and I'm not trying to brag, but I'm going to. I probably know more about Nolan Ryan than anybody in this room. Anybody know how many strikeouts he ended up with? Well, I might not be the authority. That is correct. Who said that? All right. All right. So you're a fan or did you watch the documentary recently? Okay, awesome, awesome. You know his kids' names? <laughs> First minor league team he played for? Okay, I'm just kidding. So, um, so I, I say that not to be bragging and so forth, and I could go into some very detailed 
things about Nolan Ryan and what he does now for a living. And uh, he owns banks, he owns a steakhouse, he owns a ranch. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of different things that I could go into to try to, you know, you and I would probably go longer than everybody else before they get out. And I could probably convince most of you that I know Nolan Ryan better than all of you, but that's not true. The truth is, I don't know Nolan Ryan at all. He has no idea who I am. I've never met him. I didn't get that autograph in person. I've never been to a game that he pitched at. I watched it on TV. I've... To my knowledge, I've never been in the same state at the same time that he was there. Because I grew up in Virginia, and we don't have any baseball teams. There's no reason for him ever. He never mentioned going there once in the whole book. And I could pride myself as his greatest fan, and I was thinking I was. And then his wife said on the documentary, she was. And she's probably right. But the truth is, I don't know him. And if I stood before Nolan Ryan right now, and I tried to establish that connection and everything and say, remember me? Do you remember me? I I have this, I have this, I saw that game. He'd be like, it's not ringing a bell. I just, did we meet somewhere before? And the answer would be no. And so we've got to ask ourselves as we talk about this race, it's very important that we know whether or not we're truly in the race. Because we can fill up our stadiums, our churches, and we can sit there every week and we can learn the things about God and the truths about God and we can read the autobiography that he inspired 40 writers to write. It's not a biography, by the way about God. It's an autobiography because he's the author using people to write it. And they don't lose their humanity in the process. Paul says, it's almost winter. Can you bring the jacket I left? Like, that's cool. You know what? I mean, who is the word? Jesus. And Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, right? That's why he didn't just drop this out of the sky. It's got humanity in it, but it doesn't lose the fact that it's 100% God-breathed at the same time. That's so cool to me. No matter how you slice it, slice it, sword of the Spirit, Word of God. Anyway, so, it didn't land. Sorry. (sighs) No matter how you look at it, God's Word is so layered And so there for the answers in our life. But if I just read this and I know everything about Jesus and yet I don't know Jesus, I'm missing something. I'm not in the race. I'm a fan of it. You might would assume if you didn't know how tall I was and you were listening to this audibly that maybe I was a baseball player. That's why I love Nolan Ryan so much. Still to this day, I prefer to watch baseball than any other sport. I've never been on a baseball team in my life. Never played Little League. Never did any baseball Stuff. I played in a dead-end street with a bunch of friends. Never joined a team. Always played basketball. A couple times, soccer, that was a mistake. <laughs> Not too good at soccer. Really high center of gravity. <laughs> Just 
They're going for the ball, but here goes Nate. You know. I was never in the game, and I never knew the man that I admired so much. I wasn't willing to ever go that distance to see or meet or anything. Now, I'm sure now, if I wanted to meet Nolan Ryan, there's a few places he actually frequents quite a bit where he lives. I could make it happen. I might. I might get arrested, but I can make it happen. (laughs) But the truth is, I'm not that interested in being a part of his life. But I do admire a lot of things about him. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is sharing, during the Sermon on the Mount, that sometimes we think is just so, you know, fluffy in a way. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. It's nice things. Good things to hear. When he starts landing that sermon toward the end, he talks about judging others. He talks about, you know, not being hypocrites. He talks about all of this stuff. He starts talking about the fruit that you should bear if you're a a tree that's truly rooted in him. Talks about how we treat other people, shares what we now call the golden rule. And then he says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, that final day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And let's stop there just for a moment. I've prayed with people who are experiencing oppression and different things before, but I've never personally cast a demon out of somebody. That's, That's not happened. And here you've got individuals who've used the name of Christ to do that and done many wonderful works and even preached and proclaimed in his, in his name. And then he declares in verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It is possible for somebody to attend a church for their entire life. To go on missions trips, to give money, to know things about the word. But not know the actual person. To not have an actual relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. To never come to a point in time where that person surrenders their life and the ownership and rulership of their life and turns from their sins, does a 180 called repentance, places their hands in Jesus's. We get stuck on trying to get on this cycle of doing good, trying harder, and trying to be better to somehow get God's approval. But we don't find our approval in that. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, one chapter before the verses that we're using for our theme this week, 
It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's where we tend to stop. But that's the middle of a sentence too. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Who's heard that before? Memorize that verse. I hope you memorized the whole verse and it wasn't just like A. You know, like when they're like A, or there's dot, dot, dot. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Yes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a partnership with God. He's the one who's doing it. He's the one who is working through you. That's why we throw our crowns back at his feet, because we realize, oh, I didn't accomplish any of this. I haven't attained this. You took hold of me. You took hold of me and did these things in the world. You made me your hands. You made me your feet. And because I surrendered to you, you were able to use me in a mighty way so that you could love the world. And I don't know where you're at tonight. Um, Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus your entire life. Or maybe you've been as much a fan of Jesus as I was of Nolan Ryan, but you don't know him. You couldn't think of anything really negative to say about Jesus, but for some reason, you've been trying to do this on your own and you've never truly surrendered to him. I would invite you not to walk out of these doors without making that right tonight. There may be people here who are true believers in Christ, but you've got on that whole, like, I'm working my salvation out with fear and trembling, and you forget that you have a workout partner partner with you who's spotting you. And and a lot of the times, if you've ever spotted a sixth grader before who who put more on the bars than than they could actually lift, And then they're really proud when it gets back up there, but it only got back up there because you didn't want to see them die. (laughs) Sometimes as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's God working in you according to his good pleasure. And he's doing most of the work, but he's partnering with you in such an awesome way so that you can be a part of his body to the world. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I believe that if you're a believer here tonight and you've been trying to just do this on your own for a while and every time it kind of messes up and you just need to fall headlong back into the arms of Jesus and say, I, 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 I'm doing this all wrong. I'm in a race that you've run and I want you as my guide to help work your will in me and I need that. And I'd invite you right where you are to just do some business with God and talk to him about that. Or even to get out of your seat and come up here and use this front altar to do that. If, that's, if you feel more comfortable doing that or you feel like God says, get out of the position that you're in right now, you can do that. But while that's going on, while people are dealing with their relationship with Jesus, I want to talk to those in here who may not have a relationship with Jesus. When he says, I never knew you, it doesn't mean he doesn't know who you are. He designed you. He knows everything about you. That word knew is an intimate relationship to say that that we're not in a relationship because sin is still standing in the way. 
I've already died for it. I rose from the dead to prove that I had power over the death that's the penalty for the sin that you need to repent from. And now all you have to do is accept me. You don't have to fix it to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He's the one who fixes it. So there may be nobody here. There might be one or two or three that God's dealing with tonight and with no, nobody looking at this moment. I want to ask you, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus and turned from your sins, and you would like to do that this evening, And to walk out of here new, refreshed, forgiven, free, and friends with Jesus. And I'm going to ask that you, and only you, just make eye contact with me right now and don't look back down. If God's dealing with somebody, I want to see who God's dealing with. Because if he's not dealing with anybody, we're going to move on in this service. I don't want this to pass you by If this is your moment to turn your life over to Jesus, is there anybody who would say that? Just make eye contact. I'm off the stage where I can see you now. I see you way back there and right there. Is there anybody else? A couple of you guys, from what I can tell. This next part might sound like, oh, I didn't know you were going to do that. And I promise I'm not going to ask you to do anything you're uncomfortable with. But if Jesus is saying, give me 100% of your life and turn from your sins, it would be hard to say that you're willing and ready to do that if this next part pushes you off. I'm going to ask if you're serious about it and you want to start that life, that you'd stand to your feet in a moment. Not yet. And I'm going to count to three. And there's nothing special about me counting to three. It's just kind of a decision point, a launch point to say, okay, now... You might be thinking, oh no, what are people going to think if I do that? Well, people are going to be excited for you. More people will be excited for you than what you think. What if somebody judges me? Well, then they've got issues between them and God. If somebody would judge somebody who is walking towards Jesus, then they've got other issues and hopefully they'll deal with them with Jesus this weekend too. But it matters what God thinks of you. And he thinks enough of you to give his life for you. Publicly. He hung on a cross for you. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. We're not going to play music and do a bunch of stanzas and wait. If nobody stands, I'll close in prayer. And I'll invite Pastor Ann and Pastor Jeff or whoever's coming up next. But if you're serious about the two or three of you that looked at me, I want you just to stand to your feet. And let me tell you how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. One, you've got to count the cost here. Two, don't worry about what other people think around you. Three, stand to your feet if that's you. If you want to follow Jesus and you haven't done that before. Is there anybody who'd say that? Right. I want to let you know that Pastor Jeff, Pastor Ann, myself, Pastor Paul, there's other people that maybe you've got a, a lingering question. You're thinking, you know, I'd really like to do that, but there's this, there's this one thing that I'm trying to wrestle through and I want to count the cost right. 
Come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about that. You're not, you're not finished and God's not finished with you because you didn't decide to stand in this moment on the first night. I promise you that. God is pursuing you and he wants you to do the same. Let me pray for you, God. I thank you so much for each person here. Lord, for the two, possibly three, couldn't really tell, Lord, people that are saying, at least to Pastor Nate, I've not done that yet and I'm thinking about it. Pray that you would continue to impress upon them the love you have for them and that you and you alone are the one who can save us from our sins and take us from that knowing about you to knowing you personally, relationally, and intimately. We pray that you would bless the rest of this weekend, Lord, that revival would start in hearts. Whether it's just one or or it spreads, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing across this nation right now. As Pastor Jeff was sharing and as we've been watching um, through social media, through news outlets and different things, God, that you are moving. And God, I believe you're always moving and sometimes we're just unaware of it and we don't partner with you in it. But God, praise your name that people are aware that you're there and they are inviting and initiating your abiding presence with them through what is going on in our nation right now. Help us to be aware of you and your mission and to partner with it. Thank you so much for your word, for speaking to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen.